Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. Today I'm reading our scripture from Galatians 5, 19 to 25. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces the kind of fruit, this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desire of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. The word of the Lord. Well, hello, Monsieur Day. It's an honor to be able to preach to you this morning on the fruit of the Spirit. I want to thank Melissa Pillman for setting up our series last week. And I was processing this week because I get the opportunity to preach on the fruit of the Spirit of love today. And uh, as I was considering the fruit of the Spirit, um, I was just I was reminded that uh, they often can be considered like a moral code, right? Like we have all these additional things now that we need to better ourselves by doing these better. And um, I think that's a really unhelpful way to think about it. Uh, in fact, I, I think the idea of moralism as a way, a pathway to true Christianity is a, is a huge mistake. Like if we just are more devout, if we're more pious, if we um, are, are more obedient, I, I'm just not sure that that type of Christianity moving forward is going to be sufficient. Um, I think that in order to uh, live your life fully as a Christian, alive in Jesus Christ, it takes a real encounter with the God of the universe. It takes the Holy Spirit taking over your heart and your mind and overflowing you so that, that you are so deeply in love with Jesus and that you have this personal experience of the Spirit filling you uh, day in and day out of your life. And so I'm, I'm an advocate for this idea that every person can have this type of relationship with Jesus, can have that type of intimacy, can experience the presence of God in their daily lives. I was reminded of James 5 verse 17, where it says that Elijah, speaking of the prophet Elijah, was a man just like us. Isn't that an astounding word from James? That, that Elijah, one of the greatest prophets that's ever lived, is just like you and me. It goes on to talk about how he prayed and how God took action. And that's what I mean is that everyday people, regular people, that's what the scriptures are filled with, regular people experiencing the power of God and living that um, with great faith and love because of it. As we consider the idea of love, love is discussed all throughout the New Testament. One of my favorite passages is from 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, where it says that Christ's love, the love of Christ displayed on the cross, compels us. 
The love of Christ is, fills us so much to overflow that it compels us to live differently. It compels us to live a life of love. That just this idea of when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, when we, when we believe in Jesus, that, that love that Jesus displays on the cross overflows our lives and we're compelled to live more and more in line with Jesus. And in order to do that, it is uh, to, to live in love. I want you to listen to how important love is according to the scriptures. And these are passages that maybe you have heard before, but I want you to hear them fresh once again in your lives. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 13. You can have every supernatural gift, meaning that you can have faith and the ability to move, say to a mountain, move over there and it will move, that you can speak in tongues of angels, that you can uh, have all knowledge and, and have prophetic words for everyone and, and know what the future holds. You can have the ability to heal other people, but if you do not love other people, if you have all those gifts, but you do not love, it is really nothing in the kingdom of God. It is essentially worthless. And that's important for us because we judge people oftentimes not by how well they love other people, but their knowledge or their leadership capabilities or their preaching capabilities or their singing voice or their ability to lead other people uh, as great uh, leaders to, toward a path and get everybody excited. And what Paul cares about most, and clearly what God cares about most, is not so much what we do in the big rooms or when we're in front of cameras like we are here, but whether or not we love one another. Like, what do you do with a person down the street that's in need? See, love is the center of the Christian life. And it's the center of the Christian life because it will remain. It won't be something that, that just goes away uh, when the new heavens and the new earth arrive. It will continue. It's the greatest commandment. Jesus said, what is the most important commandment? It says, love God and love other people. Love is at the center of it all. And in 1 John uh, 3.16, uh, it, it describes this love once again. What are we talking about when we're talking about love? It says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus laying down his life for us. So like a, a definition of love is Jesus on the cross, his death on our behalf. And it goes on that passage to say, therefore, because of what Christ has done at the cross and dying for us, we should lay down our lives for one another. So the call of love is to receive the love of God and then to give that love to other people by laying down our lives. John goes on to say something even more tangible. He wants to make it even more clear what this could look like in our daily lives. Because maybe we aren't called to lay down our lives in, in the same way that Jesus did. But it's, he uses this example. He says, if you have money or possessions and you see someone in need and do not have pity on them, can the love of God exist in you as a human being? That's a pretty strong question and statement by John. The love of God cannot be in that person if they resist helping that person that's in need. God cares deeply about our love for other people because it exemplifies the love of God that we have in our heart. Because as I said before, the love of God compels us. And this type of love that's described all throughout the New Testament is a word agape. Many of you have heard that before, but this is the center of kingdom ethics. It's the most important thing when it comes to the new order that Jesus brings. 
It's that I give to you without any expectation of anything in return. It's not a sexual love or a love of family. It's a word that's described uh, almost solely in the New Testament as relation to Jesus' death on the cross on our behalf and how we are to love one another. And so as we come to the fruit of the Spirit, it's unsurprising that love is the first one listed. In fact, many commentators, and I would believe this with them, is that love is essentially the center of everything that's being described in this passage, and all the other fruit of the Spirit come after it as an overflow of what love is doing as a more general term. The fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of love. And so this morning, I want to describe to you two things I want to uh, explain what the love is of the fruit of the Spirit means generally to our church and then for our current cultural moment. So as I think of the fruit of the Spirit in regards to love for our church, this question kept reverberating in my mind. And it was, if our church were to just uh, be gone tomorrow, what would we be remembered for in our moment in time right now? And... I'm not sure. I I didn't have a specific answer. I'm sure every congregation might answer that question slightly different. Uh, Maybe some people would say, oh, I love that church because they had really strong uh, biblical teaching. Uh, I love that church because they had really great worship leaders, and I just loved the music that we had every Sunday. Maybe people would say, I loved the discipleship groups, the gospel communities that people were a part of. Or I love aspects of the, the way that our church reached out and loved other people. Um, I just like, as I was thinking about that this week, is there's really just one thing, one thing that I want us to be remembered for more than anything else. And that is just the love that we have, the overwhelming love that we had for our neighbors, the love that we have for one another, the love that we had for this city, that we truly cared for people well. And this is what the call of the church really is to be about. And that really is the test, isn't it? Like that's the test of the fruit of the Spirit for our church. It proves the value of, of, of gaining knowledge of God, of studying the scriptures, of, of all of our theological studies. Like it's this fruit test. All these things will be tested by their capacity to produce persons and communities who care, whose character is commensurate with Jesus Christ. And the question that we come back to is, will we lay down our lives for one another? Will we lay down our lives for our neighbors. And this is a radical concept. I know some of you are saying, like, oh, I've heard some of this language of love about Christianity, but you have to remember what Jesus is saying in the New Testament and what God is saying through other writers is absolutely profound. See, the Jewish practice of love was defined by boundaries and it was defined by blood as a member of the limited and isolated family of Jewish people. But now in Christ, And through the power of the Spirit poured forth in the members of those churches, a new family of brothers and sisters were born. And it gave these new churches a new identity entirely. They would be a community that transcended every conceivable boundary that could separate them. Culturally, uh, those boundaries at the time were... Uh, ones of race and gender and socioeconomic status and, and disease and whether you were a slave or a free. And these were the boundaries that were just part of their social order. I mean, in this context where Paul is saying and, and others would say that even circumcision, that mark of circumcision would no longer be the defining mark. Instead, the new creation would be grounded in the community dynamics of loving one another 
and loving God. I long to be part of a church that's known for its love. Love for one another and love for our neighbors. So I long that for that in our church, but I think we need to even hone in a little bit more on what that means in our cultural moment right now. And I've spent the last couple of weeks really trying to figure this out, and I hope my thoughts make some sense this morning. What does it mean to love others in our cultural moment right here and right now, June 2020? I think for a long time, the way I understood love and the way it was often described in our culture, and even sometimes in the church, was love was defined as being a non-judgmental friend to somebody else. So the only thing that was really sinful was naming a sin in someone else. But even that, as I, as I considered it more, it, it made me comfortable because I never had to say anything hard to someone else. But I came to realize I probably wasn't loving somebody while I watched them destroy their lives by bad decisions. In the end, it wasn't just affecting them, but it was a selfish act because I didn't want to have to deal with what they were really going through. I didn't really want to confront people with, with, with truth. And I would assume that, that, I often assumed that what I would say to that person would not, they would not feel that as love. But the reality is, is I do not believe that love means non-judgment. But in our current culture, I think there's been almost a shift there's a shift where um, there are certain creeds, not even like Christian creeds, but sacred creeds for people all across the board in our culture, whether you're conservative or progressive. And if you do not, as an individual, fit within those creeds and within those systems, within those, those, those particular views, you are immediately dismissed. We live in, I mean, people call it a cancel culture. You will be canceled. You will be destroyed the American way on Twitter or on social media or wherever else you get your information. And I, I just don't really think that that's the posture that we should have if we want to follow Jesus. I don't think the cancel culture is the way of Jesus. I don't think um, just ostracizing someone because they have a couple beliefs different than you is the way of Jesus. In fact, even if you do consider people that are, are doing horrible things, and they're not just, hey, bad opinions, but they're bad actions, they're racist actions, they're violent actions. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus defines that in his kingdom, the framework for love is enemy love. And Jesus' call to even love our enemies was probably the most radical statement that he made as a teacher. I read those words and they're compelling, but I often think to Je about Jesus, maybe Jesus was just an impractical idealist. Maybe he just had a, a pie in the sky ver version of reality. Maybe it's just impossible in the world that we currently live in, but I'm not sure. To skip this passage is to ignore what seems to be very central to the New Testament church seems to be the central to the way of Jesus. And in some ways, it's, it's painfully hard, right? Because it's, it's chilling. Because what about the people that have wronged you? What about the people that have abused you, oppressed you, cheated you, hurt you? 
What about that person who's maybe not done it to you, but has done it to others? Can the love of God really invade and transform broken places? Can it even transform racism in our culture and in our context? I think this is a really important conversation and a hard one without being able to have a discussion, but I'm going to give you my brief thoughts. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, argued against this idea of revenge in the way that we often think of it. He says, if you refuse to love and to instead take revenge, what essentially happens is it perpetuates hate. And if you destroy your enemy or cancel your enemy, all that happens is it produces more hate, it produces more violence. Violence produces violence, hate produces more hate, and it's this never-ending cycle. The reality is, is that you often, when you hate other people and when you destroy other people and when you perform violence against other people, their minds don't actually ever change, even if you're in the right. They'll be even more deep-seated in their hate for you. They'll be even more deep-seated in their desire to harm you and never really changes the reality of anyone. And this cycle just continues to go around and around. And so I believe that Martin Luther King Jr. is correct, that we are to love our enemies. But I want to give a caution. And I think it's an important caution right now in our context especially. James Cone uh, wrote that oftentimes these words of loving your enemy can actually be weaponized by oppressors. This is what he would say. He says, you use the term love your enemy, and it's used to deploy and defend all manner of oppression and abuse. More accurately, to shame and silence any resistance on the part of the persecuted. Love your enemies often gets translated, bear your suffering in silence. If you love your enemies in the way it's often prescribed, it only insulates them from the consequences of their oppression. And I think that that's an important word for us right now. When we think about loving our neighbors and we talk about uh, being part of this redemptive love as Martin Luther King would say, it doesn't mean that we become dormants for our oppressors. Nonviolent love, love of enemies, is actionable. Loving your enemies doesn't mean that you have to like them. It doesn't mean that you have to approve of what they're saying. It doesn't mean that you don't think that what they're doing deserves justice or that they should experience justice in the world. You're not condoning their actions. And in fact, what James Cone would say is what could be possibly be more loving than condemning a racist society, condemning everything that's racist. See, Jesus loves his enemies, but he also demanded social change. Jesus subverted systems of oppression and raised up the oppressed. Jesus confronted oppressors, all the political and societal leaders and religious leaders with bluntness and, and speaking truth to power. Jesus confronted the racists. He also confronted the oppressors who told them that they we're wrong. And at the same time, the very same time Jesus was doing all of those things, it says in the scriptures that Jesus died for those people, that he laid down his life for his oppressors, that Jesus forgave those people, 
that he wanted them to experience not just pain and suffering for their actions, but to experience the transformative power of love. See, God in Jesus loves the oppressor by calling them to conversion. In the gospel, the call to love your enemies is that means we are invited to participate in this same action. Loving your enemies doesn't mean staying silent in the face of injustice to maintain civility. It means speaking out, correcting what needs to be corrected, using whatever voice you have to amplify the voice of those who have been silenced. Loving your enemies doesn't mean calling for cheap uh, peace when, when, when it isn't the, the right thing. It only preserves to uh, entrench the power structures that are existing at the time. But what loving your enemies means and loving your oppressors means engaging in purposeful, purposeful, peaceful acts of resistance, dedicating yourself to the work of advocacy, solidarity to those who are being oppressed. It means showing up when it counts. When Jesus goes on to say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, he's not saying that you give them your thoughts and prayers. It means praying honestly and fervently for the society, for the conversion of the heart among those people that are striking out terrible behavior. And it means to do all of these things with the best interests of our opponents in mind and the best interests of every single individual, whether they are the oppressor or the oppressed, is to come into the saving knowledge and love of Jesus, to be transformed for the Spirit, the Spirit to take over the lives and the fruit of the Spirit to bear out in their lives, that the love of Christ would actually compel them to change their ways, to change their minds, to live a new story in a new way. If you love someone, if you truly love them, you want to guide them away from the behavior that harms themselves or harms others. You don't want them to stay in the state of grave sin. Instead, you want them to experience the redemptive power of love. So I just, I think that there, we talk about love and we often use it in these fluffy languages. It's like, it's loving somebody uh, no matter what they've done. Yes, but it's also encouraging them into a new way and a new future in Jesus Christ. When we think about the fruit of the spirit of love, it means in this moment and in this time, speaking truth to power, but desiring and even longing for the people that we dislike, the people that have harmed others in our community, the people that have done wrong, to come to experience the redemptive power of love. Would you pray for that with me this morning? God, we'd ask that you would make us people that love one another, that we'd be known for our love, that our church would be known for its love for one another and our community. Would we be people that press into the hard things, that speak up and show up in acts of love. God, would we not give up even on our oppressors and would we lay down our lives for one another? Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.